This is Chapter 2 of George Hamilton's A Voyage Round the World in His Majesty's Frigate Pandora. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Roy Schreiber. George Hamilton's A Voyage Round the World in His Majesty's Frigate Pandora. Chapter 2. With a pleasant breeze on the evening of the 8th of May, we passed Imi'e, or York Island, contiguous to and in sight of Otaheite. It is governed by Matuora, brother-in-law to Otu. It is a pleasant romantic-looking spot, with very high hills upon it, and about twelve miles in circumference. They are lately attacked by some neighboring power, and Matuora requested the lend of a musket from his friend and ally. When peace was restored, Otu sent for his musket. Matuora represented that as a man, from a sense of honor, he wished to return it, but as king, the love he bore his subjects prevented him from complying with the request. That single musket and a few cartridges gives him no small degree of consequence, and are retained in the royal dower of his wife. Next morning we reached Huha Hini and sent boats on shore in Owara Bay. As Odidi, the chief, requested to go with us to Waitutaki, he went on shore with officers in search for intelligence of the mutineers, but they returned without success. Here we learn the fate of Omai, the native of Otaheite, whom Captain Cook brought from England. On his return here he had wealth enough to obtain every fine woman on the island, and at last fell martyr to Venus, having finished his career by venereal disease two years after his landing. His house and garden are still standing, but his musket occasioned a war after his death, and was found in the possession of a native of Ulaiti. His servant was on board us, but had not retained a single article of his property. On the tenth we examined Ulaiti and Otaha, interchanged presents with the natives, and landed in Shamanin's Bay, but got no information. Next we examined Bula Bula on the eleventh, and Teta, who the king honored us with a visit. The people of this island are of a more warlike disposition than any other of the society islands, and account of that national ferocity of character are much caressed by the Tahitians and neighboring islands. They are sensible of their preeminence, and boast of their country in whatever island you meet them. They are tattooed in a peculiar manner, and whether they may have spread their conquests, or other nations imitated them, I could not learn. But a prodigious number in the islands we afterwards visited were tattooed in their fashion. What was more singular, we saw some of them with their glands penis entirely tattooed, and our men, being tattooed in the arms, legs, and breast, places of much less sensation, were often lame for weeks from the excruciating torture of the operation. Tatahu likewise informed us that there were no white men on Tubay, a small island to the northward of Bula Bula, and under his jurisdiction, nor upon Maruha, another island in sight to the westward of Bula Bula. He also mentioned another island, Mopeha. Here Odidi went on shore, 
but getting drunk in meeting some of his old friends, he fell asleep and lost his passage. On the twelfth we left Moraha, and on the thirteenth lost sight of the Society Islands. Here one of the prisoners begged to speak with the captain, and gave information of Mr. Christian's intended route. We now shaped our course to fall in to the eastward of Waitutaki, an island discovered by Captain Bly, and on the nineteenth we made the island. We sent the boat on shore, covered by the tender, to examine it, but found it a thing impossible for the bounty to have been there, and the natives said that they had seen no white people. They were very shy, and we could not coax them on board. One of them recollected having seen Lieutenant Hayward on board the bounty. Here we purchased from the natives a spear of the most exquisite workmanship. It was nine feet long, and cut in the form of a Gothic spire, all its ornaments being executed in a kind of alto relievo, which, from the slow progress they made with stone tools, must have been the labor of a whole man's life. Here nature begins to assume a ruder aspect, and the silken bands of love gives way to the rustic garniture of war. The natives of either sex wear no clothing, but a girdle of stained leaves around their middle, and the men a gorget of the exact shape and size as at present worn by officers in our service. It is made of the pearl oyster shell. The center is black, and the transparent part of the shell is left as an edge or border to it, which gives it a very fine effect. It is slung round their neck with a band of human hair or the fibres of a coconut shell, of admirable texture, and a rose worked at each corner of the gorget, the same as the military great coat of the present day. We now began to discover that the ladies of Otaheite had left us with many warm tokens of their affection. Instructions were given to the commander of the tender to be particular in guarding against surprise, and a rendezvous established in case of separation, and on Sunday, the 22nd of May, made Palmerston's Islands. The tender's signal was made to cover the boats in landing, and some natives were seen rowing across the lagoon at a considerable distance. Soon after their landing, Lieutenant Corner and his party discovered a yard and some spars marked Bounty, and the broad arrow upon them. When this intelligence was communicated to the ship, a signal was made to the party on shore to advance with great circumspection, and to guard against surprise. Mr. Rickards, the master's mate, went in the cutter, and made a circuit of the island. Lieutenants Corner and Haywood landed on different isles with cork jackets, but the surf running very high all round, rendered it exceedingly dangerous, and in many places impracticable. Had they not been expert swimmers in duty of this kind, they must have certainly been drowned, as they had not only themselves and the party to take care of, but the arms and ammunition to land dry. About four o'clock in the afternoon, Mr. Sival, the midshipman, came on board in the jolly boat, and brought with him several very curious stained canoes, representing the figures of men, fishes, and beasts. He had committed some mistake 
in the orders he was sent to execute, and was ordered to return immediately to rectify it, but the boat did not come back again. A few minutes after she left the ship, the weather became thick and hazy, and began to blow fresh, so that even with the assistance of glasses, they could not see whether she made the shore or not. It continued to blow during the night, so as to prevent the party on shore from coming on board. They had been employed during the day in searching all the islands with particular attention, having every reason to suspect that the mutineers were there from finding the bounties, yard, and spars. But at last, wore out with fatigue and marching, and swimming through so many reefs, and having no victuals the whole day, in the evening they began to forage for something to eat. The gigantic cockle was the only thing that presented. Of the shell of one they made a kettle, to boil some junks of it in it. It may be necessary here to remark, for the information of those who are not acquainted with it, that there are some of them larger than three men can carry. Of this coarse fare, and some coconuts, they made shift, with the assistance of a good appetite, to make a tolerable hearty supper. They then set the watch, and went to sleep. They had thrown a large coconut on the fire before they lay down, and forgot it. But in the middle of the night the milk of the coconut became so expanded with the heat that it burst with a great explosion. Their minds had been so much engaged in the course of the day with the enterprise they were employed in, expecting muskets to be fired at them from every bush, that they all jumped up, seized their arms, and were some time before they could undeceive themselves that they were really not attacked. In the morning the boats returned, and we were much concerned to hear that they had seen nothing of the jolly boat. The tender received a fresh supply of provisions and ammunition. At the same time they had orders to cruise in a certain direction to look for the jolly boat, and Palmerston's Isles were appointed as the rendezvous to meet again. Lieutenant Corner now came on board in a canoe not much bigger than a butcher's tray. The cutter was sent a second time to search the reefs, but returned without success. We then run down with the ship in the direction of the wind had blown the preceding day, in hopes of finding the boat. But after a whole day's run to leeward, and working up again by traverses to the isles, saw nothing of her. The tender hove in sight in the evening, and we again searched the isles without success. All further hopes of seeing her were given up, and we proceeded on our voyage. It may be difficult to surmise what has been the fate of these unfortunate men. They had a piece of salt beef thrown into the boat to them on leaving the ship, and it rained a good deal that night and the following day, which might satiate their thirst. It is by these accidents the divine ruler of the universe has peopled the southern hemisphere. Here are innumerable islands in perpetual growth. The coral, a marine vegetable with which the South Seas in every part abounds, is continually shooting up from the bottom to the surface, which at first forms lagoon islands, and the water in the center is evaporated by the heat of the sun, till at last a terra firma is completed. In this state 
it would forever remain a barren sand had not divine providence given birth to the coconut tree whose fruit is so protected with a hard shell that after floating about for a twelfth month in the sea it will vegetate take root and grow in those salt marshes lagoons incipient isles or whatever you please to call them their roots serve to bind the surface of the coral and the annual shedding of their leaves in time creates a soil which produces a verdure or undergrowth this affords a favorite resting place to sea fowls and the whole feathered race who in their dung drop the seeds of shrubs fruits and plants by which means all variety of the vegetable kingdom is disseminated at last the variegated landscape rises to view and when the divine architect has finished his work it becomes then a residence for man from the various accidents incident to man in the early stages of society their wants and the restless spirit inherent in their natures they are tempted to dare the elements either in fishing commerce or war and from their terminity are often blown to remote and uninhabited islands distressing accidents of this nature often happening to inhabitants of the south seas they now seldom undertake any hazardous enterprise by water without a woman and a sow with pig being in the canoe with them by which means if they are cast on any of those uninhabited islands they fix their abode their remote situation from european powers has destroyed deprive them of the culture of civilized life as they neither serve to swell the ambitious views of conquest nor the avarice of commerce here the sacred figure of omnipotence has interposed and rendered our vices the instruments of virtue and although that unfortunate man christian has in a rash unguarded moment been tempted to swerve from his duty to his king and country as he is in other respects of an amiable character and respectable abilities should he elude the hand of justice it may be hoped he will employ his talents in humanizing the rude savages so that at some future period a british lion may blaze forth in the south with all the characteristic virtues of the english nation and complete the great prophecy by propagating the christian knowledge amongst the infidels as christian has taken fourteen beautiful women with him from otaheite there is little doubt of his intention of colonizing some undiscovered island on the sixth day of june we discovered an island which was named the duke of york's island lieutenants corner and hayward were sent out to examine it in the two little yawls covered by the tender some huts being discovered by the ship a signal was immediately made for the party on shore to be on their guard and to advance with caution soon after their arrival on shore a ship's wooden boy was discovered on searching the huts nets of different sizes were found hanging in them and a variety of fishing utensils stages and wharfs were likewise discovered in different parts of the creek which led us to imagine it was only an island resorted to in the fishing season by some neighboring nation the skeleton of a very large fish supposed to be a whale was found near the beach and a place of venerable aspect formed entirely by the hand of nature 
and resembling a druidical temple, commanded their attention. The falling of a very old large tree formed an arch through which the interior part of the temple was seen, which heightened the perspective and gave a romantic, solemn dignity to the scene. At the extreme end of the temple, three altars were placed, the centre one higher than the other two, on which some white shells were piled in regular order. After traversing the island, they returned to the huts, and hung up a few knives, looking-glasses, and some little articles of European manufacture, that the natives on their return might know that the island had been visited. On the twelfth we discovered another island, which was named the Duke of Clarence's Island. In running along the land, we saw several canoes crossing the lagoons. The tender signal was made to cover the boats in landing, and Lieutenants Corner and Haywood sent to reconnoitre the beach to discover a landing place. In this duty they came pretty near some of the natives in their canoes, who had made signs of peace to them, but either from fear or business avoided having any intercourse with us. Morays, or burying places, were likewise found here, which indicated it to be a principal residence. Here they find some old coconut trees hollowed longitudinally as tanks or reservoirs for rainwater. On the 18th we discovered an island of more considerable extent than any that had hitherto been discovered in the south, and as there were many collateral circumstances that might hereafter promise it to be a discovery of national importance, in honour of the First Lord of the Admiralty it was called Chatham's Island. It is beautifully diversified with hills and dales, of twice the extent of Tahiti, and a hardy, warlike race of people. The natives described a large river to us, which disembogued itself into a spacious bay that promises an excellent anchorage. Here we learned of the death of Finau, king of Anamuka, from one of his family of the same name, who had a finger cut off in mourning for him after trading a whole day with the natives who seemed fair and honourable in their dealings we examined it without success and proceeded on our voyage on the twenty first we discovered a very considerable island about forty miles long it was named by the natives otutu ila captain edwards gave it no name but should posterity derive the advantages from it which it at present promises I presume it may hereafter be called Edwards Island. It is well wooded, with immense large trees, whose foliage spreads like the oak, and there is a deal of shrubbery on it, bearing a yellow flower. The natives are remarkably handsome. Some of them had their skins tinged with yellow as a mark of distinction, which at first led us to imagine that they were diseased neither sex wear any clothing but a girdle of leaves round the middle stained with different colours the women adorn their hair with chaplets of sweet-smelling flowers and bracelets and necklaces of flowers round their waists and neck on their first coming on board they trembled with fear they were perfectly ignorant of firearms never having seen a european ship before they made many gestures of submission and were struck with wonder and surprise at everything they saw. Amongst other things, they brought us some remarkable fine puddings, which abounded with aromatic spices, 
that excelled in taste and flavor the most delicate seed-cake. As we have never hitherto known of spices or aromatics being in the South Seas, it is certainly a matter worthy of the investigation of some future circumnavigators. We traded with them the whole day, and got many curiosities. Birds and fowls of the most splendid plumage were brought on board, and some resembling the peacock, and a great variety of the parrot kind. One woman amongst the others came on board. She was six foot high, of exquisite beauty, and exact symmetry, being naked and unconscious of being so, added to the lustre of her charms. For, in the words of the poet, she need not the foreign ornaments of dress. Careless of beauty, she was beauty itself. Many mouths were watering for her, but Captain Edwards, with great humanity and prudence, had given previous orders that no woman should be permitted to go below, as our health had not quite recovered from the shock it received in Tahiti, and the lady was obliged to be contented with viewing the great cabin, where she was shown the wonders of the Lord on the face of the mighty deep. Before evening, the women went all on shore, and the men began to be troublesome and pilfering. The third lieutenant had a new coat stolen out of his cabin, and they were making off with every bit of iron they could lay hands on. Now came the blow fresh, and we were obliged to make off from the land. Those who were engaged in trade on board were so anxious that we had got almost out of sight of their canoes before they perceived the ship's motion which they all jumped into the water like a flock of wild geese. But one fellow, more earnest than the rest, hung by the rudder chains for a mile or two, thinking to detain her. This evening at five o'clock we unfortunately parted company and lost sight of our tender. False fires were burnt, and great guns and small arms were fired without success, as it came on thick blowing weather. We cruised for her all the twenty-third and twenty-fourth, near where we parted company, which was off a piece of remarkable high land. What was most unfortunate, water and provisions were then on deck for her, which were intended to have been put on board of her this morning. She had the day before received orders, in case of separation, to rendezvous at Anamuka, and to wait there for us. A small keg of salt, and another of nails and ironware, were likewise put on board of her, to traffic with the Indians in the latitudes and longitudes of the places we would touch at in our intended route she had a boarding netting fixed to prevent her being boarded and several seven-barrelled pieces and blunderbusses put on board of her as we proceeded to the eastward we saw another island which we knew to be one of the navigator's isles discovered by monsieur bougainville on the twenty-eighth in the morning saw the hape islands discovered by captain cook and before noon the group of islands to the eastward of Anamuka, and sailed down between little Anamuka and fall afaji island on the twenty ninth we anchored in the road at Anamuka. immediately on our arrival a large sailing canoe was hired and lieutenant hayward and one private sent to the hape and fiji islands to make inquiries after the bounty and our tender but received no intelligence here they found an axe which had been left by captain cook and bartered with the natives of the different islands for hogs yams and etc the people of anamooka are the most daring set of robbers in the south seas 
and with the greatest deference and submission to Captain Cook, I think the name Friendly Islands is a perfect misnomer, as their behavior to himself, to us, and to Captain Bly's unfortunate boat at Murderer's Cove pretty clearly evinces. Indeed, Murderer's Cove in the Friendly Isles is saying a volume on the subject. Two or three of the officers were taking a walk on shore one evening, who had the precaution to take their pistols with them. They seemed to crowd round us with more than idle curiosity, but on presenting the pistols to them they sheared off. The captain soon joined us, and brought his servant with him, carrying a bag of nails and some trifling presents which he meant to distribute amongst them. But he took the bag from him, and dispatched him with a message to the boat, on which the crowd followed him. As soon as he got out of our sight, they stripped him naked, and robbed him of his clothes, and every article he had but one shoe, which he used for concealing his nakedness. At this juncture, Lieutenant Hayward arrived from his expedition, and called the assistance of the guard in searching for the robbers. We saw the natives all running and dodging behind trees, which led us to suspect there was some mischief brewing, but we soon discovered the great Irishman, with his shoe full in one hand and a bayonet in the other, naked and foaming mad with revenge on the natives for the treatment he had received. Night coming on, we went on board without recovering the poor fellow's clothes. The next day we were honored the visit from Tetafi, king of Anamuka, who was of lineal descent from the same family that reigned in the island when discovered by Tasman, the Dutch circumnavigator, and the story of his landing and supplying them with dogs and hogs is handed down by oral tradition to this day. Here society may be said to exist in the second stage with respect to Otaheite. As land is scarcer, private property is more exactly ascertained, and each man's possessions fenced in with a beautiful Chinese railing. Highways and roads leading to public places are neatly fenced on each side, and a handsome approach to their houses by a gravel walk with shrubbery planted, with some degree of taste on each side of it. Many of them had rows of pineapples on each side of the avenue. Messrs. Hayward and Corner, with their usual benevolence, took much pains in teaching them the manner of transplanting their pineapples, which hint they immediately adopted, and were very thankful of any advice, either in rearing, rearing their fruit or cultivating their ground. The shaddocks are superior in flavor to those in the West Indies, and they will soon have oranges from what we have left amongst them. The women here are extremely beautiful, and although they want that feminine softness of manners which the Otaheite woman possess in so eminent a degree, their matchless vivacity and fine animated countenances compensate the want of softer blandishments of their sister island. There is a favorite amusement of the ladies here, the cup and ball, such as children play at in England. It serves to give them a degage kind of air, by which means to have a more elegant display of their charms. They are well aware of their fascinating powers, and use them with much address, as our fine women do, knotting, and in other acts of industry. Trade went briskly on. They brought abundance of hogs, and several ton weight of very excellent yams. We found 
that pork took salt, and was cured much better than at Otaheite. Many beautiful girls were brought on board by their mothers, who were very exorbitant in their demands, as nothing less than a broad axe would satisfy them. But after standing their market three days, la pucelage fell to an old razor, a pair of scissors, or a very large nail. Indeed, this trade was pushed to so great a height that the quarter-deck became the scene of the most indelicate familiarities. Nor did the unfeeling mothers commiserate with the pain and suffering of the poor girls, but seemed to enjoy it as a monstrous good thing. It is customary here, when girls meet with an accident of this kind, that a council of matrons is held, and the novitiate has a gash made in her forefinger. We soon observed a number of cut fingers amongst them, and had the razors held out, I believe all the girls in the island would have undergone the same operation. A party was sent on shore to cut wood for fuel and grass for the sheep, but they would not permit a blade of grass to be cut till they were paid for it. The watering party shared the same fate and notwithstanding a guard of armed men were sent to protect the others whilst on that duty, the natives were continually harassing them and committing depredations. One of them came behind Lieutenant Corner and made a blow at him with his club, which luckily missed his head and only stunned him in the back of the neck, and while in that state snatched his handkerchief from him, but Mr. Corner recovering before the thief got out of sight, levelled his piece and shot him dead. Tetefi, the king, was going to collect tribute from the islands under his jurisdiction, and went in the frigate to, to Foa. But previous to our sailing, a letter was left to Mr. Oliver, the commander of the tender, should he chance to arrive before our return. Makukala, the principal chief, held it, in the night the burning mountain on Tofoa exhibited a grand spectacle, and in the morning two canoes were sent ashore to announce the arrival of those two great personages, Tetefi and Pubu, who went on shore in the Pandora's barge to give them more consequence. But the tributary princes came off in canoes to do homage to Tetefi before he reached the shore. They came alongside the barge, lowered their heads over the side of the canoe, and Tetefi, agreeable to their custom, put his foot on their heads. When on shore, a presence he had received from us, he distributed amongst his subjects with a liberality worthy of a great prince. Some of the people who were here had behaved with savage barbarity to Captain Bly's boat at Murderer's Cove. They perfectly recollected Mr. Hayward, and seemed to shrink from him. Captain Edwards took much pains with Tetefi, the king, to make him sensible of his disapprobation of their conduct to Captain Bly's boat. But conciliatory and gentle means were all that can be enjoined at present, lest our tender should fall amongst them. The End of Chapter 2